0: It might be time to say goodbye to some city trademarks. Many local storefronts are disappearing, along with their enigmatic owners. Here is Remy Arena to tell you a bit more about the last stand for a local antique shop.
1: It is no surprise for those in New York City and beyond that our beloved New York is changing. For better or for worse is really up to you. But in the process, New York City is losing some of its tenured storefronts. And fascinating inhabitants, not the least of which is Sharon Jane Smith and her co-owned store, A Repeat Performance. A Repeat Performance is located at 156 First Avenue and has been a pinnacle of East Village character for nearly 40 years. It sells antiques and oddities from around the world and the US, but it plans to close in the summer of 2019. For now though, at the end of the narrow and pleasantly crowded shop is Sharon, waiting to help the next customer. My
2: name is Sharon Jane Smith. I'm from Minnesota. I came here to New York in 1981 on a vacation and loved it. I became involved in this shop in May of 1987. Beverly Bronson had already started it with her former partner on St. Mark's and then they moved it over here after a couple years. That partnership dissolved and then I became part of this shop. Okay,
1: What's it been like since then? Why did you stick with it for so long? It's been a long time. That is
2: a good question. That's a really good question. (laughs) Why did I stick with it so long? I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. It It became less and less lucrative. As the the inventions happened, the invention of the internet and the possibility of selling on any from any portal, I -hmm. think is the term. Yeah. Okay. So that changed it, I think, Mm -hmm. with as with many businesses.
1: When you walk in, an eclectic warmth washes over you from assorted lamps hanging beneath the ceiling. The warm hue encompasses jewelry, silks, pocket knives and paintings alike. But where does this inventory come from?
2: It's, it's instinct entirely. For Bev, and I, mm-hmm. the, the objects in here were chosen by me or by Bev or by just by random because of an estate that was purchased, let's say. So uh, it was generally just instinct that I liked it and I thought well, if I like it, then a certain number of people will probably like it
1: mm-hmm.
2: here in New York. It's kind of a numbers game in that sense.
1: Sharon is a through-and-through through New Yorker, but like many of us, that was not always the case. She chose to come here and she chose to stay.
2: There was something about this, how familiar, I guess it's the architecture of New York. We've seen it in all the, all the old movies, we've absorbed it somehow, you know, in our subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it just seemed... F- it seemed like home when I, when I first came here. It seemed familiar. It seemed like I knew this place before. Uh, yeah, okay. and I met some pretty amazing people, really. And that's pretty much what makes New York special to me, those people.
1: A repeat performance only has a few months left in the East Village. But luckily, Sharon has other plans for herself.
2: After this amount of time, of watching New Yorkers come and go. I've been starting to write about those experiences, and I have a feeling once I dive into that writing, I'll need all the time I have in my life.
1: Bye <laughs> bye now. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been Remy Arena with WNYU 89.1 FM. Thanks
0: to our collaboration with WNYU's music department, we're bringing you some spotlights on DJs here at the station. This week, Arya Tusi talks to the host of Fantastic Baby.
2: So why'd you pick K-pop?
0: Um, well, it's personally
3: a music that I really like to listen to. And so I wanted to do it in order to bring more exposure to it and show that there's a reason to listen to it because no matter what type of music you like, like pop indie, rap. K-pop's got it all. Even though it's becoming more popular nowadays, there's still a lot of people that don't know about it or they think it's like really weird. They ask me like, how can you listen to a music in another language? Like you don't understand anything that they're saying.
2: You know, that's interesting. At first, I think of it wouldn't really have a lot of international appeal
3: just because of the language barrier. But then I remember how popular American music is in other countries where there is still a language barrier. Yeah, exactly. If you a lot of the times K-pop artists themselves are asked like, "What are your favorite music? What music do you like to listen to?" and they'll say they like to listen to American music, and it's kind of like, "Oh, so I'm American and I like listening to Korean music. You're Korean, you like listening to American music." That's what's great about you know music being available worldwide. Uh, in the description for your show, you mention uh, boy groups, girl groups, and solo acts as um, separate things. So could you explain the dynamic there? there's only one group right now in the industry that's made of both boys and girls why is it so segregated honestly i think that they think that um fans especially like korean fans don't like it of boy groups interact with members of girl groups like fans are very possessive um they're often like younger teen Mm -hmm. girls and so they're like oh i like this this member i i don't want to see them interacting with like girl you know the kind of like they get jealous yeah exactly you see that even with you know fans of like One Direction they're like oh like what if I accidentally met him and we fell in love
4: where do you think this scene's headed
2: in the next five years
3: <sighs> I feel as if k-pop entertainment companies are seeing that there is a lot more international recognition of it um, if you go back like five years backwards in time there was so Few, much fewer people that were knowledgeable about K-pop, but it's just exploded in the past few years, and because of that, you see that entertainment labels are starting to sign their bigger groups to record companies in the U.S. for future U.S. promotions. So, like, they have their eyes set on expanding into the U.S. or internationally in order to gain that attention. But at the same time, not a lot of them release English language songs so I think that they're going to try and appeal to an international market but not by necessarily releasing their music in English but by just putting themselves out there more Uh, I know the group I mentioned earlier BTS is going to be on SNL soon so and they're going to be debuting their new song on that so you know just getting that exposure to international and almost specifically the U.S. market Liz's show, Fantastic Baby, airs on WNYU.org on Fridays from 10 a.m. to noon. For The Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM New York, I'm Arya
5: Tusi.
0: Alabaster Bookshop is an eccentric bookstore located right off Union Square. With rare and unique books, a cozy atmosphere, and a close-knit community, Alabaster has become a second home for many New York locals. Elizabeth Hamilton and Faith Marnichek take us there now.
4: Walk down 4th Avenue, heading away from the bustle and sound of Union Square. Stop at the stacks of books piled on carts on the sidewalk. Turn right into Alabaster Bookshop. The street sounds become muffled
3: as the door closes behind you. Books crowd every corner of the store, in shelves piled up on the floor and in bags taped to the rafters. At first glance,
4: the book's look haphazardly placed on shelves or strewn across the floor. But a closer look reveals a small attempt at organization by genre. Religious books straight ahead, music books along the back wall, adventure books stacked on the floor near the corner
3: to the right. There's no room to spare, other than the small paths carved out between stacks. It's not uncommon to hear a book accidentally knocked off a pile as someone walks
4: by. Sitting behind a desk on your left is Ian who has worked at Alabaster for a little over a year.
0: We try to maintain an aesthetic of what an older library would be like, kind of just walking into a place that's wall-to-wall with different esoteric knowledge.
3: It's true. Alabaster Bookshop feels less like a store and more like the library you might have had growing up in a close-knit neighborhood.
0: There is a community in that I think that people have their like weekly schedules and routines. So like I have, this Saturday I'm going to see a girl named like Marilyn in about
5: two hours. She's gonna stop by because uh, she comes here every Saturday night.
4: There's value in the community Alabaster Bookshop has created. People don't come simply to browse and buy books, but to connect with others and discover more about something they love. Literature.
3: There's a guy He's actually my professor in college. This is what life at Alabaster sounds like. people sharing recommendations and knowledge, a door closing, and a siren intruding on the quiet. Yeah. And it's actually the best translation. For the rundown on WNYU eighty-nine point one FM, this is Elizabeth Hamilton. And I'm Faith Marnchak.
0: We're about to visit the Whimsical Housing Works Bookstore Cafe on Crosby Street. Bethany Allard and Maggie Chirdo take us to the volunteer-run and donation-based shop, the profits of which benefit people living with AIDS or experiencing homelessness in the city.
6: New Yorkers of all kinds have either walked past or drifted into Housing Works. Sometimes the allure of an inexpensive vintage item is just
5: too hard to pass up. HousingWorks runs 14 thrift clothing and household item shops scattered through Manhattan, but tucked away on Crosby Street, just below Haston, is one that specializes in books and coffee. The storefront windows of the Housing Works Bookstore
6: Cafe are easy to miss amid the ever-present construction of this street. But once the door creaks open, you enter a world of slightly used books and worn wooden floors that feels unusually spacious and homey for a store in SoHo.
5: Across from a crowded front counter sits a mountain of boxes and bags, filled by generous donors. A dedicated volunteer rips the tape off one, revealing what sets Housing Works apart from other bookstores. These boxes and bags hold the donated books that allow the store to be a not-for-profit. Supporting the larger organization's mission to provide services, advocacy, and employment for people living with AIDS and homelessness.
6: From 10 a.m. to the time the last book is sold, customers squeeze between cartfuls of dollar fiction and mahogany shelves, stopping to pack books with the volunteers, asking strangers to share a table,
5: <laughs> and settling down with
6: ambitious stacks of books.
5: Other visitors come just for the spectacle of the store, admiring the twin spiral staircases, which lead to a U-shaped balcony that offers more seating, non-fiction books, and a sweeping view of fairy lights strung across the room. Up the left staircase and down the right deposits
6: you in the cafe, wedged next to the cookbooks in the back of the store. Browsing the vast range of poetry, CDs, and comics makes your stomach growl. Additional volunteers are ready to whip up sandwiches and lattes or fun plates and mugs.
3: Have a meal.
6: The evenings bring open mic comedy, the occasional wedding, and discussions about new books
5: with their authors. There is admittedly no shortage of independent bookstores that people really care about in New York City. But Housing Works makes it obvious that it cares back.
2: Thank you.
6: For the Rundown on WNYU, 98.1 FM, this is Bethany Allard.
5: And I'm Maggie Cherto.